Hey homies, it's Etienne Seymour, teacher turned mom turned interior designer and apparently now a podcast host. That's right, peeps. I selfishly hijacked Michelle's podcast so that I could pick her brain and figure out how to get to her level. And the best part, you guys are coming with me. genius like okay I can't this is like the most genius thing I've ever I think it's so good okay oh god we're just gonna giggle for the next hour so my name is Etienne Seymour owner and lead designer of Etienne Co um a lot of my friends call me Etty short for Etienne but that has been really difficult for people so I get a lot of Eddies now which you know um is hilarious. And so my backstory is I started my business last August. So it hasn't been a complete year, but I've just been like in not, I don't want to say like hustle mode, but like information mode, just trying to like take everything in stumbled across your podcast. Absolutely love it. Um, it's just like so relatable and accessible and tangible. And so the reason why I hijacked your podcast is so that I could pick your brain and kind of figure out how you got to like your point. Because I think sometimes you're asking questions where at your level and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's such amazing questions, but I'm totally not there yet. And I think there are probably like so many steps you took to get to your point where it's like so valid. You know what I mean? Like, oh my God. I'm always wondering like, oh, I just want Michelle to tell me this or this or this. So I just like, you know, I decided to take over and you were open to it. So I love it. So yeah, guys, this is a hundred percent Eddie's dream child right now. And you right down to coming up, like redoing the intro, which like the whole thing fills my heart with absolute freaking joy. And now this is going to be a thing. So I'm going to call this the real talk takeover episodes. Mm -hmm. And I'll just put it out there. Anybody else who wants to do something like this, just DM me, let me know. And this can start to be a recurring like podcast episode, like once a month, whatever it looks like, but I'm totally, I'm into it. I love it so much. I'm excited. Oh my gosh. Well, and there's like a little twist because mm-hmm. Michelle, I know you're open. I've inserted silly, random, ridiculous, personal questions within the serious questions just to like spice things up a little, you know, and get I a love it. And I don't know what they are. Like she did prep me on the questions themselves, the legit ones, but Mm -hmm. I wanted to be, oh my God, we're both drinking out of the same type of water bottle. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to take a screenshot of this. I don't know how to do that. Hold on. I need to, okay, hold on. Wait, what? Okay, here we go. Oh I love God. it. We're basically it's like kindred spirits. Shameless, shameless plug. This camelback, the style, I just like love the plastic valve. It makes it so easy just to get that water. You totally. Know? It's really good. It's if you guys want to sponsor my podcast, Contigo, uh, whatever your brand is, let's do that. Um, okay, let's get started because I think that we're going to get pretty deep on this and, and I, I don't want to wait any longer. Me neither. I'm going to start like a little surface and then I'm going to go deeper. And these are all, well, you know, but they're all like super like tactical, tactical, like obvious answers. Okay, so start. What is one book or resource you would recommend to learn more about like the craft of interior design? Okay, so if I'm being completely honest, I wouldn't say I've read that many books about the craft of interior design. Um, Like, probably the most I've done is, like, your standard 
everybody's buying these books, like Emily Henderson's style book. I love that book though. I love that book. I know, right? And it's, I I just, she's awesome. Uh, Like Lauren Lee's book, which I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. Which by the way, I did a book review on my, on my YouTube channel. And she Mm -hmm. actually like responded to me and left, and like left me a message. But, um, and then the other one I think was, um, which is less my style. I'm forgetting the name of it right now. Um, It doesn't matter, but those, that's really the extent. So I don't have like a, a lot of great resources on that front. Like I, I would mostly say that anything I've done has been mostly self-taught and where I dig deep is more on like processes and, re- and, and business related stuff for whatever reason. Totally. Totally. No, I know. I just feel like sometimes, I don't know. I don't know if it's like, like fabric is like really intimidating to me. And like, I, you know, I think I have a good eye for scale and measurements. Um, but you, I just never want to be in a position where, I don't know, where I like recommending a faux pas or something like that. You, you know, know what? Like what I would say to something like that, I agree wholeheartedly. And, and truth be told, I probably should be doing a lot more research on that front. But once you, I, one of the questions you're asking later is about like trade sources or just where to be getting your product in general. Once, once you start working with trade sources, whether it's fabric like you're going to start working as long as you're going to, you know, like places like Robert Allen or JF, whatever those places are, where to the trade only, you're going to be talking to people who are really educated and you can even just request like lunch and learns with them. Like I just did one recently with, I think it was like three or four other designers where they're happy to have you. They're going to have food for you and they're going to just tell you so many things that you would probably never would have learned on your own anyway. And when you're, when you're ordering certain fabrics, just saying like, okay, this is how I want to use this fabric. Um, you know, do you foresee any problems with that? And really relying on those, those vendors that you're sourcing from to help help educate you and eventually you'll get to know that stuff but awesome awesome thank you okay so what are your top books for running a business okay so books I mean there's I've listened to so many books listen I don't read them no girl yeah (laughs) um so one that I recently listened to at the recommendation of another designer was the e-myth oh I saw that on your Instagram that's been on my list I heard it's amazing Yes, it, it's, it is, to be honest, it's, it was a little, it almost puts the fear of God in you. Like you're kind of like, oh my God, um, I really need to get my shit together. But okay. it's basically the entre- entrepreneurial myth is what it stands for. But it really just kind of talks about things like, which, which a lot of us know, but sometimes it's just good to hear it in a different way. But things like you really need to build a business that a mediocre person could flow through your processes. Like, you know, I know when I look at myself and how I work, I feel like I'm, I'm definitely an above and beyonder, Mm -hmm. but most people in the world are not like that. So you can't build a business that relies on people who are above and beyonders or like you, you, so you want to build businesses that can still create a great client experience if somebody else is flowing through your processes and that just a mediocre person can still create an an exceptional client experience. And then also just like, you know, um, 
thinking about your company, like you were trying to build it out as a franchisee that you're a franchise that you would sell. So making it so that you create, like, even if you're not hiring people, creating like a, an org chart, which I actually recently did to just start thinking about the functions of your company. And you know what, if, if it was going to be a long-term thing where you were going to build more of a structure, what are those, what are those kind of buckets that you would need? So for example, um, you know, social media, marketing, a marketing like section, uh, operations, design, uh, you know, a design assistant, things like that. And then just even if somebody is going to be, um, even if you're just hiring one person, understanding that their role and explaining and communicating that their role is layered into various elements of the business, even if they're just one person doing it so that you can continue to grow that way. So it was really, really good in just making sure that you're, you're thinking far enough ahead. Did you, um, like when you were reading that and like the first thing you said, as far as taking systems and making sure anybody can run them, like, what did you start thinking about for your design firm? So what I've been thinking about is simplifying a lot. I'm very good at overcomplicating things. So Mm -hmm. things like even my purchasing, for example, Mm -hmm. um, I want to be able to give purchasing to somebody else. So for me, that's phase two of, of any given project. So client gives approval. I really don't need to be the one to take care of purchasing. So ideally, I, I simplify that process. So what I was doing was I would have a list of things that I need to order. I would call the vendor. I would take money from my purchasing account Mm-hmm. move it to my credit card. So if I knew I was going to be um, paying vendor one, $5,000, mm-hmm. I would move $5,000. It's called actually, let's say $5,002. I would move $5,002 to my credit card, then pay it. Make sure that those two kind of, you know, $5,002 in $5,002 out. Then mm-hmm. I would manually transfer. So I was basically like transferring per purchase I was making. Right. So right. Instead of doing that, trying to simplify things, this is just like one example of like, and this was actually a conversation I had with another designer where I was like, whoa, I have like, and then I would write it down. I transfer this much. Like, it's just, it was just so convoluted. So now it's like, okay, if I'm working with a purchaser, somebody who's going to do it for me, what she could, she or he could do is say like, I'm going to be purchasing $10,000 worth of stuff. Can you, can you transfer $10,000 worth of money to your credit card so I can do that? Perfect. Great. And then if they max that out and they're going to order more, but like just identifying it in a more simple way. So just stuff like that, like also figuring out whether or not like this thing that I'm, I've determined that I need to do on the weekly. Like I used to track all of my like web traffic almost weekly or at least monthly. I used to track like my social media growth and I'm like, I just decided that I want, like I need to do this, but do I really need to do this? Like, am I, am I actioning anything as a result of these numbers? If the answer is no, like just, just simplify your life and make it easy. And like an idiot could do it. You know what I mean? Totally. So those are just some examples, but it's really just trying to dumb down for lack of like better terms, like the processes. I know. I think it's so hard because we live in like such an information era and you like listen to a podcast about like social media and then you listen to a podcast about, you know, marketing. And then you, you know what I mean? Like all these different things. And you're like, Oh, to do this Instagram really well, I need to like post every single day. I need to do videos every single day. And then you're like, 
And then you start doing that. And then you're like, oh, I need to start blogging every single week. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I'm doing all of these things not really well, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I have thoughts on that too, because I'm really good at imposing so many so many things on myself that I have deemed like need to happen. Right. And at the end of the day, like, you know, social media, for example, like there's so many places we could be on social media mm-hmm. and I'm really trying to tell myself like, okay, I am a solo mm-hmm. and it's really better for me to do only a few things as well, like as good as possible, mm-hmm. as opposed to like you said, doing like 10 things mediocre so that it's kind of like the philosophy of like, if you're trying to talk to everybody, you're talking to nobody. If you're trying to do everything, you're doing nothing. So like, just try to give yourself the permission to, to focus on what matters and, and try to identify for yourself what those key things are. So, you know, could like things like trying to think of an example right now, like I've, for example, people are always like, it's better to post on Facebook direct, like native to the program. So not using external um, programs to, to post. You know what? I can appreciate that. But at the end of the day, I have to say like, I need my, my Facebook page to not appear like the business is aborted and like, you know, gone under and there's nobody there. Mm-hmm. And I want, at the end of the day, I need a consumer to potentially show up to my Facebook page and know that I'm in business and active. And if an external program is going to help me do that, so right. be it. Because at the end of the day, I cannot do it all. And being highly engaged on Facebook, right. I can't do it. Right. Totally. I know. That's how I feel about Facebook too. I'm just like, it's such a beast. And it is. Um, it all is like everything. It's just, especially as you know, when you're a solo and you're trying to start a business, like there's just so many things that you have to just, you have, you have to really try to be good at identifying what's important and then reevaluating what your goals are and saying like, is this thing that I've been asked to do going to help me reach my goal? Totally. You know, I, I just, I can't I just it. say like, um, WW. SMD. What would Shay McGee do? That's what I <laughs> Yes. One of the podcast interviews I heard, she is just like, you know, I've posted to Instagram every single day since we've started. So that's been like my my yeah. poll. You know what I mean? So yeah. But, um, okay. What are your top, like top three go-to podcasts? Okay. So my top three go-to podcasts, it, it has changed because here's what I'll say. Any podcast that I like super loved, I basically hardcore binge them. So now I've kind of exhausted some of them. Like, I think I won't go over the usual suspects. Like we all know Luann's podcast, like everybody, you know, love Mm -hmm. it. Obviously I just binged it so hard. And now what I do is I try to focus on topics that I think are relevant to me, which is, I think is an important thing for us all to try to do is, Mm -hmm. um, because otherwise you're going to get exhausted in information try like if you know that instagram's a priority for you listen to the podcast about instagram or so on but my go-to podcast number one it has nothing to do with it with interior design is armchair expert it's the best podcast out there i freaking love it (laughs) it's it's dax shepherd but to me it's i just love it because he talks to famous people who are obviously creative and he just digs down into like their insecurities and and I find it just so relatable and inspiring. Um, a newer interior design podcast, which unfortunately there isn't that many episodes because it's new, is the Lifestyle Company podcast. 
Okay. Which is awesome. She's awesome. Um, I trying to get her on my podcast. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. But she's, she basically, I, I hadn't heard of her until I watched, she was on a panel for Ivy, um, mm-hmm. the project management software. And I, so I watched a, a webinar that they, they posted of a recording of them at High Point, I think it was. Mm-hmm. So I looked her up and I was like, oh, cool. Uh, she actually has a podcast. Or no, she talked about her podcast during the panel. So I looked it up. I think, I feel like if people like my podcast, they're going to freaking love her podcast because okay. I feel like she's, a similar like personality as me where just she's just very like real yeah um, another really good one I like and I don't always consistently listen to it but I think it's a game changer is called unfuck your brain okay and it's really good for mindset stuff which I think is just insanely important as an entrepreneur anybody starting their own business like mm-hmm. you're gonna be your own worst enemy and so unfuck your brain like the, the premise behind it is basically just like your thoughts are not reality. Mm-hmm. People do not have the power to make you feel any sort of way. You mm-hmm. can control all of that. And mm-hmm. it just kind of talks about strategies. And I just find it like sometimes it's just being you, reminded that, that um, this is you, not legit. Like what we're thinking is not always the truth. Right. Do you, um, have you ever heard of Eckhart Tolle? Mm-mm. Oh my goodness. Same, same principle, all about being present and like controlling your thoughts. Essentially. He has a, um, series with Oprah, you know, super soul Sunday series where they did, I think it was 14 episodes and they correlate to his book and it's, it's life-changing. It's so good. It's like my favorite. Is it like on, you watched the TV? Cause I think she also has a podcast. Yes. I listen to the podcast. Yeah. Okay. I will look into that. Yeah. And his book is just like, I, I mean, I read it probably every day, like a little paragraph from it. Really? Yeah. It's, it's life-changing for sure. And it's all about just, you know, being present, controlling your thoughts. And okay. Can you say his name again? Um, it's Eckhart, Eckhart, E-C-K-H-A-R-T, Tolle, T-O-L-L-E. And Amazing. The books. And, it. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. So sorry. Um, and then any, I know you love Jen Sincero, um, like self-help motivation, personal development books, like are so my jam. So I want to know what your favorites are. So like that was on my list. That's I pretty much that's, that's like the number one for me. Um, and, but for self-help, a lot of it is these podcasts that I listen to. So it's not always like, okay, I'll say this. I definitely listen to a lot of self-help because I have like procrastination issues. I've listened to eat that frog. Um, I wouldn't say like, as far as reading something that I was like, that was amazing, like Mm -hmm. revolutionary, like it actually changed something in my life. I would say the only one, like for sure, the badass books were that for me, whereas I can't say any other ones were. The podcast that I referred to would be like self, great self-help type okay. stuff. But um, awesome. other, some other podcasts are um, um, The Girl Wash Your Face. Are you familiar oh, with that? Oh, Rachel Hollis, yes. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. What's her podcast called? Um, I think it, no, I was going to say, I think it's Girl Wash Your Face. No. Um, is it Rise? Yes, that's it. That's totally it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one I listened to, but I'm not like super consistent about it. No. Podcasts right now are a little bit dicey for me. I'm feeling like I've exhausted myself on podcasts because I think I just went in way too deep and I think I've just like gone in too deep. So I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm on a new kick right now, which is 
allowing myself to be in silence a little bit as opposed to I would think I was I've oversaturated myself with a constant need for being fed information in any moments where I'm like actively doing something else. So now what I've started doing is like last night I met a bunch of designers in Oakville and there was like six of us and I drove it was an hour drive and I I, I just turned the radio off, turned the podcast off and I just allowing myself to try to like think and brainstorm. And I think that's been really good because I think I've had some like, oh, I, I could be doing this or yes. that's, you know, th- that's when I thought of the new podcast name. That's when I thought of maybe I could do a live event or, you know, whatever. So I think there's, that's kind of like where I'm at right now is just like, I need to give myself the time to think. Totally. Oh my gosh. It's, it's so important. That's what I mean, not to talk about them again, but that's what like Eckhart says is just like sign. You know what I mean? Like yeah. sitting in the idea of time and all the things. Love it. I'm a hundred percent going to look into that. And it's, I find it's rare anymore that anybody gives me any like names of people that like I haven't already heard of. Cause I feel like I'm in so deep on this stuff. So oh. I'm pretty pumped. I'm just like, I, yeah, I just, I love that <laughs> realm too. So, okay. What Michelle, what is one song that you can never say no to on the dance floor? Oh my God. Okay. Holy crap. I'm worried I should have prepped you for this. That's a very important question. I forgot that we were doing that. So you just totally caught me off guard. Okay. One thing that I can't say no to on the dance floor. It's been a long time since I've been on a dance floor. Girl, we got to change that. (laughs) That's not where I want to be unless I'm at a wedding. Okay. Okay. No Parlay Americano. Are you familiar with that one? I freaking love it. It brings joy to my heart. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play it, even though... Okay. doesn't get me <laughs> I'm like the person at the wedding I'm like this is my song I, know, I love this song I'm like that too for sure I'm oh my gosh I love the 80s so much oh my God, I um, love the 80s. um poison nothing but a good time you know that song do you I just, know that song nothing but a good yeah 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 oh my I, God, love that I love that you just sang this is gonna be the best podcast ever <laughs> People are going to be like, what are they drinking? And I'm like, I should be. You know what? I stopped drinking during the week, so I never have wine anymore when I do these interviews. Oh, well, you know, know. you don't need it. You don't need it. But I liked Um, it. (laughs) (laughs) I loved that. Um, Okay. So what about if you were starting from scratch, like all over again, what would be the first like three steps you would take if you had very little budget and no connections? Slash basically like what I had when I started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so a hundred percent. If I were to start over again, I would start in some of the similar places, but with a few like changes. Like hundred percent. If you're just starting out, you need 
to, to finish a room and have it professionally photographed. And you need to find the money to find a photographer. I don't care how good people think they take it like photos. I think that good photography is a game changer for Mm -hmm. your portfolio and it makes all of the difference. So hundred percent that. Okay. And if I was, if I was trying to finish a room, so let's say I was doing it for a friend or family member, I would actually track the time and know some of the things, like that's one thing I didn't do. So first of all, I did my mother-in-law's guest bedroom. Like I, I did my home and I took photos and I took it as far as I could. And I said, look, this isn't like perfect, but I just, I'm actually like, that's shocking for me because I'm not normally like that. But I was like, I have to get this photograph. Like I need a, a portfolio. So yeah. just give yourself like permission to not let it be perfect. Mm-hmm. And then if, let's say you did your own rooms or somebody in your family or friends, like you're doing it for them for free, which is totally fine. Just do yourself a favor. I did not do this. I did my mother-in-law's guest bedroom, but their, their aesthetic wasn't really mine. So I never used it. Um, but just do yourself a favor and track the time that it takes right. you because this is a good starting point. Um, just try to track everything early on. Um, the next thing I would do is would be just to make a website and I would just go to Squarespace or Wix. Mm-hmm. Squarespace has amazing templates built in. Like you're going to find something that's going to look like you had somebody, you paid somebody to do it, but just find something simple. Just don't overthink it. Just get her done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what I definitely didn't do mm-hmm. was I, be, because I had an issue with like, I, I was afraid to tell anybody I knew what I was doing. Cause I was like, people are going to be like, well, who do you think you are? Like, yeah. you know, so if I could, if I were doing it over again, I would scream it from the rooftops. I would start my Instagram, my Instagram channel right away. Mm-hmm. I would start my Facebook page right away. I would post it on my LinkedIn right away. I would post it on my, my personal Facebook right away. I would email everybody I knew right away mm-hmm. because it's amazing what people just start referring people to you. Like only, honestly, like people refer to me all the time. Right. Even though they don't really know that I'm any good. They're just, they're, they just want to support you. Yes. Um, and so, and then to kind of jump off of that is I would, I would start trying to build an audience and get visible and build some credibility and authority. So the earlier you can build an audience because an audience, if you start building, even if you're not going to sell anything yet, just start mm-hmm. putting yourself out there. Like if you're going to be on Instagram, then do stories, just make yourself do it. Um, well, don't make yourself do it. Actually, mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to take that back. I don't think that video is for everybody. Right. So, I don't really care if it's popular. Like some people, I just think it's not video is not for everybody. And some people, I just kind of, it's cringy. And I just think either practice on your own, do video and maybe don't have it. Like it isn't for everybody. If it doesn't make you joyful to do it, then I think it's a chore. Like, I think you need to find things that you got to push yourself a bit, but you just got to find what works for you. If it's blogging, do blogging. If it's, if it's social media, do social media. Totally. Um, but try to start figuring out ways to get an audience. And so, cause I, I talk to people, whether it's like interior designers or other who are like, well, I'm going to start my Instagram when, and it's like, mm-hmm. no, just, just Do it. create your Instagram account, post random stuff. Don't worry about it right now because mm-hmm. it's, 
the sooner you start, the sooner people will start following you. And then when you're ready to, to join, like actually launch something, hopefully you've got some people following you or who can spread the word or who can do this or who can do that. And it's right. the same thing with your website. Like the reality, like people are like, I don't want to launch my website yet. It's not perfect. You know what? As soon as you make your website live, guess what? Nobody's seeing it anyway. Right. Trust me, if your website was being seen that easily, like we'd all be in way better places. Like there's a lot of work you need to do to make your website visible anyway. So just make it live and then update it as you go. Don't worry about it. Because you want to start building that credibility with Google too, right? Right. So um, another thing I would do, like, so these are the things that I think are key and they require minimal effort and or investment slash no investment. Um, So join a Facebook group. So get on Facebook. And if you, even if you hate Facebook, get on Facebook and join the Facebook groups. Design ER therapy is the very first one I ever joined, which is not a common one, but it's, okay. it's called design ER therapy. They might not be visible to join anymore. I don't know okay. uh, what they don't teach you in interior design school, interior design, business strategies, the wingnut social visibility with Rachel. I'm just throwing out the ones that I can think of off okay. the top of your, my head. Which one's your but favorite? I love Veronica's. So yeah. my other, my other thing is just join them all. And then whatever one resonates with you, just turn off the notifications for all the rest of them or all of them. Really. I, that's what I do too. I just go in when I need to Yeah. late at night, I'll scroll through my feed and that's when I see what people are posting, but just reading through the feeds of what people are posting is you'll learn so much. Plus you can post in there so many questions, but the key is once you join you, there's a section called notes in all of these groups and there people have uploaded things like contracts. They've uploaded so many valuable tools mm-hmm. that you can just download and, you know, rework for your business. Cause like why reinvent the wheel? Totally. Um, One so thing I think I- that's a really valuable way to learn. And, okay. and it's, I, I just, I posted something. I posted about the Maria Killam. Are you familiar with Maria Killam? Mm-hmm. She's a color specialist mm-hmm. and she sells various like color boards so that if you are specifying color for a client, you have larger size boards. So I got the like neutral palette, which is a lot of whites, which are really hard because of undertones. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I posted that on my Instagram story. And one of the designers that I, that I um, interviewed recently, local, I won't say her name because I don't want her to feel bad based on what I'm about to say, but she DM me. She's like, cause I told her a bunch of trade only resource. She's like, you, she's like, I've been in the business over 10 years and you have way more resources than I do. Like, you know, more than I do about all of these resources. And it's honestly because of these Facebook groups. Mm -hmm. And I really think that the people who are in these Facebook groups, and you can do it in a way where you're not like getting sucked in so hard because that's important not to, but, um, that there's, it's invaluable. So you just basically would read the feed and gather like information about vendors and things like that from the feed. And that's how you learned all of that information that she was referring to. Totally. Like, I mean, it's either between the podcasts I've listened to, obviously, right. Which is another thing I would probably say, like get on those podcasts early, you know, find the one person that resonates most with you. Cause it can be like information, information overload. I find it's important to just find a person, a guru, if you want, that you resonate with that you can, that can just be like your one source 
of information that you could like rely on. Oh, another one, creative human. I don't want to leave her out. She just started her Facebook group. And I think it's going to, I think it's going to end up being growing and being really great. Yeah. Um, Crispin Butterfield, but, um, but just, Um, just, yeah. Like I just think it's build your audience, start just figure out ways to make yourself an authority. One thing I it seriously is like, cause I've kind of started that of like joining the different design groups and I joined yours. And one of the coolest documents was, is the one that you have of like the running list of like events or like things that you've done or things that have happened since you started your business. So stinking cool. And it's just like, gives me such good ideas about things that I could try to like you know, yeah, do it. that's great. I need to go back and update that. You know what? Thank you for reminding me of that. That's okay. So awesome. yeah. but you know what? That's what else people need to do because we're going to forget. And the reason I started my Facebook group was like, well, the biggest thing was I thought it would be cool for people to get a different perspective because all these Facebook groups that we're in mm-hmm. is a lot of people who have just been in the business 10 plus years. So it's like right. one very specific perspective. And I right. just thought, it would be interesting to, to follow somebody along who's just starting out. And then I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool to be able to have these videos to look back on in 10 years and be like, mm-hmm. remember when I was like crying about this ridiculous thing or, right. and that's why I started that list was like, cause the entrepreneurship is like, it's oh. an emotional roller coaster of highs and lows. And there's some real lows and it's nice to be able to go back and just say like, this is where I started these are the things I did when you're feeling like a complete failure, which, you know, is like on the daily and you can just say like, you know what? I'm not like, this is what I did. And it's a really good, like, like a check for yourself to lift yourself up. Totally. Totally. And I think like it also, I don't know. I feel like you're probably falling into this role of like mentorship or like gathering of people, which I don't know if was intentional because, you know, you say how like the podcast, you were gathering other people's information, but like now people are coming to you and you're like, oh my gosh, you have all this great information. That list is just such a great, like tactical, like, oh, Michelle did this. And then she did this like that. So yes. you know what I mean? Like such good next steps. Yeah. And and that's actually, that that's true. Like right now I've talked a few times about, I'm in a bit of a slow period. Mm-hmm. And it's the first time. And I'm kind of like, you know what? Cool. This will be an opportunity to like be an example of, you know, you, I can actually prove and say like, we can go back to these videos. I'm telling you it was slow, mm-hmm. but this is what I did. And we can follow along and I can tell you exactly what I'm doing to try to get myself out of this slow period. Totally. And so that people know, because sometimes you're, it's hard to relate to the the people that have been in it in 10 years who forget these moments a little bit and they can't totally remember exactly what they did to get out of it. So it's like, it's kind of like a time capsule of Mm -hmm. of information that, you know, if in five years from now, somebody's asking me, I'll I'll have it all archived. Right. As like legitimate proof that I promise I was there. (laughs) I swear. I swear I've been through it. Um, If you had to pick one social media to focus on, what would it be? Um. Okay, wait, one more thing. One more thing I want to say on the last topic that you asked me about, which is the three things that I would do. I, I want to say one thing I wouldn't do. Oh, tell Because me. I think it's important. And it's something I've been talking a lot about in my group. Um, I, I, what we need to make sure we, or what, if you're starting out, it's really important that you don't try to make everything be perfect before starting. Like, don't wait for your website to be perfect. Don't wait for your processes to be perfect. Don't wait for your services to be perfect. Because 
when I think back to when I started, I had this whole idea of what my business was going to be. It was going to be an e-design business. It was going to be great. I wasn't going to have to leave my house. I was just going to chill out, da, 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 whatever. And then when I started to do projects like that, I quickly realized like that was not for me. So I did go a little too deep on certain things and, and I waited too long to like say, Hey guys, I'm taking clients. I mean, it was out of fear for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was also like, it's not perfect cause I'm a perfectionist, mm-hmm. but the, wherever you start your business today, which is the important thing is just to start and allow the evolution to happen because mm-hmm. your business is going to be so different in three years, but don't put in all this energy into making all these things perfect. Like I'm not suggesting that you don't get yourself some sort of contract or some loose procedures, but don't get crazy about it. Allow right. yourself to be doing the work and working with a client and be able to like contract, for example, mm-hmm. great. You need one, but why not just, okay. If there's other things like get yourself a client, don't go crazy. Like try to get yourself clients, work on that contract and oh, okay, I got a client. Then just firm up that contract on an as needed basis. Right. Um, and just know like create materials sometimes when you need it in that time so that you're not just wasting a bunch of energy mm-hmm. on stuff that is just going to be completely irrelevant. And I just totally. think just start is the biggest thing. Like, so the thing I would do is just start, start. for sure. Just start. I know I'm guilty of that too. What, um, what did it, did you not like about e-design? Okay. So what the, it was a soul searching moment for me. I had been meditating a lot. I had done this whole meditation thing. So I felt like I really like connected to, I, I was just really kind of hyper aware of myself and what I was doing. I started this course, um, which is irrelevant. It was like, uh, it was, um, I forget what it was called. It was the 90 or the whatever, 60 day year or whatever, 90 day year. I paid a lot of money and that was a waste of money for me. Not because it wasn't a great program, but because I didn't do it, but I got a really good nugget. I, there was a process of stuff. It was like, sit down and write what you want. And, and the key was to sit and think about, um, not what you think like you can do, but, but go a little deeper. And I think because I had been meditating and really in tune with myself, I actually allowed myself to be real about that. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to live paycheck to paycheck anymore. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to work on rooms and interiors where I am proud. I want to be a name that people know. I want to, uh, you know, be an inspiration to others or I want, you know, so I just was like, in a perfect world, I want to be a true artist. And for me, e-design was not that it was I'm also very hands-on. I'm very tactical. I'm like, I want to have the fabrics in my hand. I want to go to the showroom and that's just not like e-design is like quick and dirty. And Mm -hmm. it's not part of, part of that is like not the luxury of those details. Right. Mm -hmm. So once I just got real about what I wanted for myself, Mm -hmm. um, I, I was like, this isn't it this is just not it. Um, and it was just kind of like, I, I, and this isn't, I'm not saying this is true for everybody, but I think it's important that people really dig deep on what you want, not what you think you can do, but like in your perfect world, you could be doing anything. If it's not e-design, then like be true to that. Because Mm -hmm. for me, I, I resorted to that because I was like, I think that's all I'm worth. Nobody's going to pay me real money because who am I? Right. So I resorted to e-design because I'm a little bit of an introvert, even though people don't believe that. Like I'm very good. I could sit in my house all day and not talk to a soul and that would be great. 
And I just thought that was all I was worth. Right, right. Well, I think the world is glad you didn't stop there, Michelle. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what are your thoughts on email lists? Okay, so I think email lists are very important. Like, do I have a huge one? No. Here's what I would suggest on that. From Go, anywhere you're getting an email from a client, like, so if, let's say you created a form on your website, however, because people do that on their websites, have a section where it says like, do you want to opt into my email? Get the green light on that right away. Every single client, every single lead that comes through your system should go into your email list if they've given you permission. But the only way to do, it's just so easy to do that right from go. Because here's what I'm going to say about email lists is that even if that person didn't move forward with your project, Mm -hmm. you are now like building your credibility or in one to two years, their financial position might completely change. Right. Right. Slash they might buy a new house or whatever. And at that point you've really built your credibility and it's just like an easy no brainer way to, to build and own data. That's yours. That. So I do think it's important. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't put like a huge emphasis. Like I'm going to do an email opt-in or I'm going to do like an opt-in thing, like a survey that people will want to fill out in order to be added to my email list. And then they'll go through like a series of like automated emails to kind of sell them through. But I think it's something that we don't, like a lot of designers don't think about how easy, like every single lead that ever came through to you should have gone in your email list. And a lot of people don't think to do that. Right. Right. Totally. Um, when you were first getting your new, your, like your first clients, I know that you joined like neighborhood Facebook groups. Would you still recommend that as a place to start for getting ideal clients? A hundred percent. I, I, especially if, okay. So I, I can speak from this perspective from somebody who completely changed careers and is self-taught and was like, I didn't pay, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars for an interior design degree where, you know, I could definitely see there being like maybe a higher criteria, higher level. Like I think somebody like that, try to get into a firm, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're, if you're graduating from school, I definitely think you should get a job at a firm and get that experience for Mm -hmm. sure. For people like myself, like actually, did you take any courses? No. Okay. So for people like us, I think that this was, that is a really good strategy. The, the clients, most of the clients, although I did as a result of that, get like some pretty high paying clients as a result of referrals through that as the starting point, but it, they were a little bit lower budget clients where I was, you know, giving them maybe a plan or I was like executing rooms on a like super dime, but the experience it gave me in understanding how long something takes versus like what I thought it would take was right. just that hugely valuable. Right. Um, understanding like, you know, what kind of projects I like, what you don't like. I just think it gives you so much learning that is completely invaluable, especially to people who didn't go to school and have the advantage of being able to get a job at a firm. And because I'm starting this career so late in life, like the reality was I have a mortgage and I I couldn't go to a firm as like an intern and be able to support this house. So that just wasn't really an option for me. Totally. So I think it was I, absolutely. I think it was it was a very effective strategy. I love I love it. It's so great. Um how thinking of like your highest paying client, how did you connect with them? Were they a referral? Okay. So 
one, the, the highest, highest paying client, there's probably three and highest paying client in the, in the way of, um, design services, not necessarily the highest budget, which is different. Um, so the one is by default, it happened to be my, my boyfriend's mother's old boss and he just saw her commenting on my stuff and that's how he contacted me. So that's a just like complete fluke and anomaly. But that is the reason why you need to be blasting yourself on social media because your family, there's going to, okay, first of all, some people are going to completely disregard what you're doing. And I think that they will never acknowledge it. You're going to get a lot of people who truly deep down, I think are just jealous at what you're doing and they're, so they just won't acknowledge the fact that you started a business Mm-hmm. So you'll have those friends who like do nothing to acknowledge it slash support it. But then you're going to have like those family members and or friends who are just going to be always liking your posts, right. always commenting. And then what that does is it gets into their feed, right? Totally. So that's why it's so important to just blast it anywhere you right. can. So that was one way. The other way was um, the result of the Facebook group. So I got somewhat of a tight budget. But then from there, I got her neighbor mm-hmm. who, so this is the key is like, sometimes all it takes is like that one project in the right neighborhood that you know that that's the type of person that maybe has like a lot of wealthy friends or, or whatnot. So you're like, you know, hopefully they're going to spread the word right. and or friends will come to their house and, and kind of go from there. But I got her and they weren't a huge budget or they probably could have been a higher budget, but I, I was a little bit naive at that time. But then from there, I got their friend who was at the time the highest budget I had ever gotten. Mm-hmm. And it was terrifying to submit that. I think it was like $10,000 I submitted for my design fees for proposal on that, which was so scary. Then um, then the, the other high paying client was the Airbnb that I did. And that ended up being really profitable design service wise, because we did so much. It was great because it forced me to do a lot of work in a highly concentrated time. So what was great about it was like the design fees on that were like, I estimated them at Mm -hmm. $10,000, but I also, I, I made sure that cause I didn't know how long it was going to take and I underestimated it ended up being another 5,000. And what was great though, was that it was such a concentrated timeframe that it was like, I totaled like $15,000 and all of that work ended up being done within a month's time. Whereas sometimes you do that, but that might be over the period of like three months work where you're just kind of like sporadically getting that money. And that person I met somebody, somebody did a consultation. I had a Facebook group at the time that was facing and a lady found me online. I did a consultation with her that didn't go anywhere, but um, she knew this realtor and she's like, you should follow Michelle on Facebook. So literally all of these things are all the results of social media. Totally. It's crazy. Um, Are you like, aside from like the Facebook groups, are you a part of like any like interior design groups or like masterminds or anything like that? Funny you should say that. So, okay. Very, probably like a year ago, I reached out to, there's five of us, I think in total and we tried to get this mastermind group going and it became really hard for the five of us to align our schedules. So now we just kind of meet periodically 
um, whenever. And we go to like showroom visits together. Yeah. I just came back from one before I met with you. Awesome. Last night, I met with a different set of people. I don't know. I met them on social media. They're kind of about two hours away, but we met in the middle and there were six of us. And then this morning, I like I emailed, I messaged them and I said like, you know, would you guys be into if I had five other designers doing a legitimate mastermind group where we meet monthly and with a group of like 12 people, if some people, if, if only half of the people can make it, you still have a really good group of people that you can talk about. And then I'm going to do a little bit more research on how to run an effective mastermind, but you know, putting people in the hot seat, having like a specific topic each time, but trying to control the, the, the topic. Cause what happens is like, it gets to be a lot of like, and they're like, and then it gets like chaotic. So trying to add some structure. And I do think if we meet on a very regular basis, like we'll, we'll calm down a little bit and we won't be so eager, but I, but I, so yes, we have been doing that in a, in a less formal way. Um, but we're, we're going to look to be doing that in a very consistent, like we're going to pre-schedule out once a month and try to see what we can get going and do a lot of just like knowledge sharing. That's awesome. That's so great. Um, Michelle, this is for all your American fans. Can you say the following words with your (laughs) thickest Canadian accent? Okay. House about out in Took. Who's boot eating took? But like literally, I don't get this when people say this. I really just say house about out and took. Am I saying it different than you? No, well, yes, because Am I? I'm actually originally from the St. Lawrence River, like Canadian border, like right okay. across from Ottawa. And so I grew up with like, you know, people with like Canadian accents. And I just like, I'll be listening to you in the car and I hear you say like house. And I'm like, oh, really? I love it. Yeah, I love yeah, it. I say house about out and toque. Yeah. Yeah. You say um, it now. You say it again. Um, house. <laughs> okay, yeah, you kind of say house. Um, about. And I feel like we're saying the same thing. I don't hear it. I, don't know. But I love I don't it. Know. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. What this is this is kind of dark, but what's been the biggest mistake you've made with your business? Okay. So I gave this a lot of thought. Mm. Um okay, so I'm gonna answer like there's there's two things, and I already touched on one a little bit, but I've made a lot of mistakes, and I'm gonna air quote it because here's what I'm going to say about mistakes and it's going to be very cliche and that's fine because it's the truth. Um, so the common mistakes would be like undercharging, mm-hmm. um, you know, not using a receiver, not sourcing to the trade in order to profit, like giving away my discounts completely. But, but here's what I'm going to say to that. And what I think is important, like, you know, we all listen to people like Kimberly Selden, like whoever we're listening to. And it's great. Like, sure, why not just get it right from go? But I think there's something to be said for, you know, screwing something up like, okay, not having a receiver, having a table delivered to a client before everything else shows up. And then the result of that is the client thinks the table's too small and it turns into a whole thing or the couch is like this or that. And that was like a huge thing that happened to me. I ate the cost of a table. So yeah, that was a huge problem. The lesson learned there was that I need to use a receiver. Mm -hmm. I think that those mistakes that I made, like in the grand scheme of mistakes, they're not like crazy and like, you know, 
going to put me out of business mistakes. But I think the fact that I made those mistakes is key because the passion that I have for those processes as a result of the mistakes mm-hmm. allows me to articulate in a way that I think would resonate more with a client and myself for like getting behind those processes mm-hmm. and not kind of like saying, well, no, I don't need to do this. So right. I think that those mistakes have to be made. And I, and I right. like, great. If you're the type of person that doesn't need to make a mistake and you're just going to like, I find most people are scared to use a receiver and until they go through those terrible experiences, they're probably not going to, or until they realize like the eating the cost of furniture when I didn't make any profit on furniture is going to put me out of business and screw me over. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like those mistakes to get you so behind those processes for yourself. Totally. But so, so I've made those mistakes, but I don't, I see those as like the opportunity to get super behind processes that are important to me Mm -hmm. um, and get passionate about those. So I don't see those as mistakes. Yes. It's totally cliche. So whatever the real mistake I would say that I made is what we talked about already, which is like, I didn't, I should have got started sooner. I shouldn't have waited for everything to be perfect. At the end of the day, you just need to start start mm-hmm. doing it and not worrying about perfection and, and knowing that probably our needs, and I know for sure me, our want for things to be perfect is more just like our fear giving us an excuse to not start. Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. just got to get over it and do it. I'm just going to go for it. Yeah. Totally. Um, what has been your biggest mistake with a fashion choice? Oh, like in life? In I'm life. talking... Top, bottom, Ugg boots, like all the things. Give it to me. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't consider myself hugely fashionable. So, but I'm like going to dig deep because I know. (laughs) Does it have to be recent? Was it a Canadian tuxedo? Sorry, I just had. No, but I want to get on board with that. No. I love it. It it doesn't have to be recent. It it could be any time. So... Back in like, I'm gonna post it. And this is embarrassing. I'm gonna find a picture and post it too. Okay. So it was semi-formal. Ooh. And I okay. First of all, I was like really skinny, which is like you know, if I could be that skinny, I'd be like pumped about it. But at the time, like nothing looked good on me. Like I was like too skinny, and I felt you know whatever. Anyways, my mom like led me down this path of like dressing me. It was all Le Chateau. You guys have a chateau there? No. Okay. I don't think so. It's like this cheese ball, like, retail store at the mall. And everybody else is wearing, like, a dress. Like, a normal freaking dress at (laughs) semi-formal. And I'm wearing, like, a skirt and, like, this, like, shirt. And I want to say, like, this vest or something. Like, okay, (laughs) there's nothing wrong with being a lesbian, but like, I was totally dressed like a lesbian and it like, like I'm down with it. I wish I was a lesbian half the time, but like, I don't know what the, I really, I look back on those pictures and I'm like horrified. So I'm going to share it. I'm uh-huh. horrified. I'm embarrassed, but I'm going to totally share it. I, I want to see this picture so badly. It's embarrassing. So. Like everybody else looks super cute in their like regular dresses. And I'm wearing like a three piece suit. It's okay. When I was like, I think I was like first or second grade, my stepmother feathered my bangs. Do you know what that is? Oh, yeah. How old are you, actually? I'm um, 32. Okay. So, yeah. There was an age gap there. So, like, there's definitely... I'm surprised they feathered hair back then, maybe. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What are your top three favorite Instagram feeds to follow? 
Okay, so I wouldn't say like I gen- I go to I go just to Instagram and I like I don't I rarely go specifically to feeds, but I will say um, my current girl crush feed right now is Lexi. Lexi, what is your last name? I, I DM'd her and asked her to be on my Facebook or on my uh, Lexi Westergaard. Do you know who that is? No. Um, I don't know where I found her, but it warms my heart anytime she likes anything. I think she like likes my posts sometimes. And doesn't mm-hmm. it just fill you with such joy when like certain people, you're like, you liked this? Um, Shay McGee has like... Yeah of my posts and I'm like oh my god I, like, I know and you're like that was obviously Shay herself call grandma yeah oh it is Michelle obviously obviously sure. yeah um okay any others oh yeah for sure okay so um the other one I like and it's not for like in- interior inspiration is uh okay Jody who I recently met with in person she's a local designer like she's it's like a side hustle for her um, she told me about, it sounds super cheesy, but the manifestation babe. And okay. I love her Instagram. Like she posts like quotes that I resonate with all the time. I don't care. I, I will post motivational quotes because they freaking speak to my core. Yes, girl, you should, because they speak to other cores too. They you know? do. I know that people are like, that's like a faux pas, but you know what? If it speaks do to it. my core, do you, share yeah. you share it. And then, okay, Amber Interiors, okay? I don't care yeah. how, like, overdone it is. Everybody loves her. I don't give a shit. She can do no wrong. <laughs> I think that her, the evolution of her design is just, like, incredible. Her spaces are so perfect. Her shelf styling is, like, on point. And her, I find her rooms just feel really curated. And, like, they don't, like... But we know not- a lot of people where you're like, I know that's forehands. I know that's this. I know, like, I think we're going to talk about trade stuff anyway. But, uh, but once you start to get to know, like, you start to be like, I know where you got that. And it starts yeah. to be like a lot of the same thing, which is fine. Because I think we're just in a price point where that's going to be the thing. Right. But, um, but Amber's stuff is like, she works with a lot of like their own custom stuff, like through her store. And like, oh, it's just freaking beautiful I can't she's freaking beautiful me um where does most of your inspiration come okay so this was a tough one because people ask this question a lot and it's a hard one for me um there's two things I'm going to talk about like inspiration for the interiors of the home like if I'm working with a client like first and foremost I'm first inspired by the space itself so certain things about the space Mm -hmm. like inspire the direction of what I'm going to do. The client themselves inspire the direction of what I'm going to do. And then from there, I look to further find things that like meet kind of what I'm thinking in my head. Cause a lot of the times it, it pops in my head, but, and it's probably a lot of like, we're all scrolling through our feeds. Like nothing is original anymore. Even if you think it was your idea, like you saw it somewhere, you just don't know subconsciously where it came from. So I think just my inspiration really just comes from like, I have a lot of design books that I look at. I'm con- like my entire feed for the most part, 95% is interiors. Like I don't, I'm like, unless I'm inspired by you, I very rarely, like I only want what's I finally fully resonate with in my feed. But more than that, like what inspires me just in general, mostly like as a creative person slash business owner is listening to people's stories of, of, building something from nothing, you know, Mm -hmm. like 
Shay McGee's story, you know, you build an empire from nothing. Amber Interior's story. So, hey, ladies, like, you're going to be on my podcast mm-hmm. in time. Um, you know, the Armchair Expert podcast, to me, I love it because Jack Shepard's hilarious and I freaking relate to him because he talks about his insecurities. He's He wears his heart on his sleeve and he talks about insecurities that I relate to, but he talks to, to like, actors, actresses, uh, you know, singers like creative types and he Mm -hmm. talks to them about their insecurities and you know what like and he takes them back to the very beginning and that just inspires me to no end like watching the movie about queen like that inspire like that is just like like seeing somebody build something from nothing or come from like humble beginnings or overcome you know, mental health issues or insecurities or, you know, defeating the odds, like something happening where you have, you go from zero money in your account to being a multimillionaire. Like those are the things that really resonate with me. And that's why I listen to like, you know, all these podcasts that aren't necessarily about business, but even like the girl boss podcast is a great one to listen to, to inspiring stories. The armchair expert. I love listening to anybody tell their story of how they built what they built. Um, and then lately I've been going to in-person events where it's because uh, I've been actively trying to network, mm-hmm. meeting new people locally, trying to get my name out that way. But I've been, I've gone recently to two different seminars where it's just like business owners, like, and it's all been like women mm-hmm. talking about how they built their business from nothing. And I just leave there like in so awe of what they've done and just yeah. so inspired. That's awesome. That's so yeah. awesome. Do you ever listen to um, The Gold Digger with Jenna Kutcher? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Uh, that's also amazing. I love it. I love it. Um, awesome. So speaking of inspiration, have you ever been inspired artistically um, by the Can- by the Canadian docuseries Trailer Park Boys? <laughs> I have to be honest. I have never watched Trailer Park Boys. There's something about bubbles like <laughs> makes my stomach turn. A little uncomfortable. It makes me very uncomfortable. Like... I, it's like a train wreck. I don't, I've never watched it in my life. I've, and I have to say, it makes me so sad that this is one of our claim to fame. It's very sad. No, well, I, I, you know, I, I had to, I had to put okay. it in there. I've been giggling about that question for like five days. <laughs> oh my God. I, I am like, right now you're schooling me a little bit. Cause I'm like, forget some of these things that are like classically Canadian. Canadian. Well, but can I tell you a great Canadian show that you need to watch? Yes. Schitt's Creek. It's so good. <gasps> That's Canadian because yeah, man, those peeps are all Canadian and it's Canadian produced and everything. What? Oh yeah. my Isn't it so good? It, I, I we don't own a TV in my house. Like my husband yeah. and I, I know it's it's crazy. We will like pick a show and we'll stream it and we'll watch it a couple times a week. And we were watching like Ozark. We love like the handmaids. Oh. But so it's only like one show at a time. And yeah. I was like, I keep hearing about this, like Shit's Creek. We like are like peeing our pants laughing. It is so, so funny. Oh my God. It's so good. And so his good. sister, okay, first of all, I'm terrible at names. Like I will watch like a two hour movie and I won't know the lead right. character's name. But yeah. the chick, the sister, I just yeah. think she's incredible in that role. Like mm-hmm. I cannot. I, I know. He's I know. So amazing. I I actually like Roland personally. Roland. Oh my god, he's so <laughs> revoltingly amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Roland. Okay. Oh my god, even his name is disgusting. 
the episode the episode I'm sorry audience no I like it I haven't seen that show but the the episode where he's trying to like get the billboard changed and it's like oh my god don't worry it's my sister (laughs) so funny People listening, I'm gonna go out for a freaking. Uh, I I gotta get a sponsorship from Schitt's Creek. Uh, seriously, oh people, it's a Canadian show. Most Canadian shows are absolutely terrible. The show is so good. Oh my gosh, it's so oh my. good. It's so funny. Okay, so so the big question I have because this is totally where I'm at. So what I've been doing is, I mean, I've been working with clients and I've been sourcing things from like Pottery Barn or just, you know, like regular retail stores. And so I feel like I'm missing out on a huge opportunity of getting them like trade items. And I don't like, I have my resale certificate, which is required in New York. So I just, I don't know how to go about starting to source those materials. Like I've gone to like a showroom, but I still have no idea of like, what the price point of everything is. I'm overwhelmed by like the number of vendors. And I just like, I don't even know like one simple step to start to like start making profits on like things I source for people. Got it. Okay. So you have a trade only showroom that you went to that carries like various vendors Mm -hmm. or something? Um, I went, I was doing a project in Denver a couple months ago. So I went to like the Denver design district. Um, and locally I'm in Saratoga Springs, which is like North of Albany, New York. And, um, I know there's like one showroom that has, I mean, I don't know. I I think it's pretty small. I think it's like an interior design firm that like they, you know, they sort things. Um, so I just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where to start. Okay. Okay. The best place to start. Well, going to the showroom is definitely a good place to start. Um, Identifying price points of certain vendors. So I'm trying to think like, I'm trying to think like in these Facebook groups, you might even be able to search like in, go into all of the ones that I kind of laid out. I don't know. Go into the notes section and see if you can find, you might find like a trade list somewhere. It depends on your aesthetic, but um I find like a more traditional aesthetic, you're freaking golden with trade resources. I find it, I mean, you're in the States, so it's going to be a lot easier, but forehands is probably going to be a good one for you. Um, But what I would probably do is go back to that trade, that trade center and say, you know, I'd love to set up an account. Can you give me a list of the vendors that you carry and maybe talk about where your price point is? Like, because at the end of the day, I will say that if you're sourcing trade, you do have to have, like, you're probably going to need slightly higher budgets, like people who are a little bit more willing to spend, like, a little bit more on the furniture. Um, so you need to make sure that you have, like, a client that has a budget that's willing to spend that. One thing that Veronica Solomon has said, which has kind of opened my eyes a little bit, is, like, push your client like clients they're going to tell you what they think their budget is but push them on that a little bit and say like you know what here's this sofa that I think works really well once they kind of like without being like doubling or whatever as long as you set the precedent early like generally speaking somebody gives me a budget early on I've I've learned that your the budget you told me based on what you want needs to be doubled if not tripled and I pretty much lead with that now because I'd rather be forthcoming and if that's not going to work for you then like let's just figure that out now mm-hmm. um and, but but yeah go into the trade resource like that is great if you have a showroom that like that right there is half the battle 
Um, get the list of the vendors. And even if you just start by getting a list of the vendors and then going to their websites and, and maybe help them help them identify like, okay, of this list, like, you know, what are the more like price conscious vendors? Cause you don't want to waste your time with like super high luxury stuff maybe right now. And then, yeah, go ahead. What are like, just go check them out online and then identify the ones you really like. So, you know, off the top of my head, based on like me having looked at your Instagram, like I feel like you'd really like Noir Furniture, Gabby, uh, Four Hands, Lighting, you'd probably love Visual Comfort, Arteriors, um, and apparently Arteriors is like a really good high profit maker. And then the next place to be making money is on fabrics. So do they also have fabrics there? I believe so. Yeah. So then talking to them about, okay, you know, I I have a little bit more of a price conscious, uh, client. So like, can you direct me to the fabrics to be looking at probably like Robert Allen, Maxwell, um, and, and try to like, just simplify that a little bit. Because mm-hmm. with fabrics, you can double. You're getting fifty percent. You're you're getting fifty percent off that the retail price. Okay. So you're going to be able to mark that up significantly when you're doing window mm-hmm. treatments and, and or reupholstery or custom upholstery type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but and then so the the thing is, some vendors we require a minimum order. Okay. So. What I did recently is I'm working with a client right now. She had a pretty decent budget mm-hmm. and without, it's tough because you get real excited at first when you have the opportunity to be making all this money. And I feel like in Canada is a little harder to get those vendors that you, tr- like four hands is a lot harder to get at cost here or at wholesale here. But um, you get real excited about making that money. So I found like I did have to check myself a little bit and and make sure like, is this the best product or is this you trying to make money? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, sometimes I blend retail with it as well. Mm -hmm. But but if if there's a vendor that you love and you're like, I think I could source, like for you, probably I would look at Forehands. Try to... Forehands is hard to, to check out, like maybe go on their Instagram because I think you, all of their shop is behind like a login. So okay. you'll probably maybe talk to your trade center, but you can set up directly a, a Forehands account. Okay. You just need to find who your local rep is. So maybe just reach out and say, here's where I'm based. You want to find your local rep and then open an account. So you're going to fill out, basically you're going to fill out a form. Mm-hmm. They're going to ask for trade references. Um, they don't really check them most like, I don't know how I did it. I just like started with some high end retail that maybe I had trade resources with maybe just kind of like stretch the truth a little bit and see what you can do there. But, um, record. yeah, yeah. Whoops. Nothing. Um, and then, and then, uh, try to at least meet the minimum order for a project. Okay. Because then you'll be able to just order as you need. If there's a minimum order. So what was like the first thing you purchased for a client that was trade or yeah. Yeah. Trade only. Yeah. That was trade Um, only. Okay. So for me, what happened was people kept talking about it in the Facebook groups, but I was still like, Oh my God, that's overwhelming to me. Yeah. Then I went to see Kimberly Selden speak at an event at this place called the international center. And when I went there, I found out that there was a whole like designer center within I had no idea at the time Mm -hmm. it was called sofa now it's called TIDC and it has Renwell which like you might like over time like learn these names like Renwell Surya which is rugs rugs is huge like 
getting, uh, being able to get samples for rugs is amazing because you can't do that with retail. Being able to go to one place that has so many rugs that you can, being able to go to a trade center to, to make your decisions on furniture helps you be more efficient with your time, which is amazing. Um, so that's the big thing about retail versus, uh, trade only is if you have the luxury of a place where you can go one stop or just a couple stops as opposed to like, I want to go look at Pottery Barns rugs in person and then I'm going to go to West Elm and then I'm going to go CB2. Like that is a lot of time spent, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so I went in and I was like, in, it was, I was like a kid in a candy store. I was like, holy crap. There was a, a custom uh, sofa showroom, which is a good place to start too. That's great, great place to get, uh, like get to really make some money. Um, so I think the first thing that I probably did was, was something from Renwell, which there was no minimum order quantity from there. I probably, I don't remember what the item was, but like, if I had to guess, it was probably like mirrors. I ordered a sofa from Van Gogh, which ended up having a few problems with it. So it was like a tough start to trade only for me, but, um, but once you start seeing how much money you can, you can make, mm -hmm. like you're going to get really thirsty and mm -hmm. you're going to really like it, but it is very overwhelming. So I think the best thing for you to do, I would just say like, try to identify some key vendors. Um, and Veronica Solomon talks about this a lot. She's like, it's best to try to identify a couple key, like two to three key vendors that you love that you can continue to source from and really get to know the quality for, but also you're going to have um, reps that are going to like go to bat for you. Mm -hmm. And also it means that you can be sourcing on a much quicker basis. Like you're going to be able to, you know, you got three go-to vendors and you can like go boom, boom, boom. Like mm -hmm. I found everything I need as opposed to like going to 20 retail places, right? Which totally. can be very exhausting. Totally. Um, and then how does it work as far as like, I think you touched a little bit about this before and you're talking about like the e-myth. Um, but you know, your client approves the items that you want to do through trade and then you submit the order. So you just basically have the client's money and then you pay for that. Or you're saying you're going to just start giving like a lump sum to the, um, the vendors. Okay. So I'll explain what, what happens. So I, okay. I'm going to tell you the, what my process looks like. Mm -hmm. So I, okay. Let's say the vendor that I'm working with is four hands. Mm -hmm. I have, I get a login. You, so you make an account with somebody, you're either going to get a catalog or you're going to get a login and either the pricing is going to be right there or which is a lot of the times, or they might send you like a price list. So you're going to get the SKU online. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to get the price list to get the, the pricing off of. And then you're going to find out, okay, your pricing is uh, 40, 40 to 45, excuse me, 40 to 45% off of suggested retail. Okay. So, okay. For ease of numbers, we're going to, I'm just going to pull up a, a, like a calculator, but basically you're going to decide what you're going to want to sell that to your client for as long as it's no more than suggested retail. So sometimes these vendors will give you what's called minimum, it's, it's MAP pricing or MSRP. So MSRP is like the most that you should ever uh, recharge for the, the item. MAP is minimum advertised price. So MAP is basically, 
a lot of the times what Wayfair is charging. So Mm -hmm. the vendor saying like, this is the most you can charge for this item. This is the least. They don't all do that. Some people just give you like, this is the MSRP. But some some companies will give you MSRP and MAP. So you can do it one of two ways. You can, some people say that they're going to, I'm going to source trade only and I'm going to give that to my client for the minimum advertised price. And either that's going to be just automatically what the vendor tells them or what they might do is do a quick search online to see what a client could get it for, say, on Wayfair or whatever Mm -hmm. um, and sell it to them for that. Or you might just say, like, because at the end of the day, you don't want to get shocked. Or you might say, like, I don't care what other people, like, I have my own overhead, I'm running my own business, and I'm just going to make sure that it's not easy for the client to, like, because at the end of the day, retailers sell it for what they sell it for. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I can find that same thing at a different shop for less, but that doesn't mean the retailer needs to lower their price. Like, this is what it costs to to buy this through me. Mm -hmm. And so... You're going to, okay, so let's say something's $100 uh, and it retails for $200. You're going to, so you're getting 50% off, let's say. You're going to decide whether you want to give that client, maybe you're like, you know what, I'm not going to sell it for $200. I want to give the client an added benefit for working with me. So I'm going to give them 10%. So you're going to figure out what 10% off $200 is, and that's your markup. Mm-hmm. The great thing is you don't have to do this. You have tools like Ivy, which is a tool that I use where you can load in your product. And I mean, I don't necessarily suggest getting, I got these types of things early because I'm just like very obsessed with like processes that are efficient. Mm-hmm. And to me, the price of like $69 a month, like all you need is one client to make that worthwhile in my opinion. So, but you just load it into the software. You say, this is the price that it costs me. This is the this is the 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 suggested retail price. This is the markup that I'm going to have on it. And then you can even see what the discount is to the client. So when you do that, when you load it into the software, you're then going to send your client, you're going to present to your client, then this IV or other like product is going to have a proposal which in the system has all of the products that you specified. You can organize it by room. You can create separate proposals by room, like whatever your process is, is that's fine. You hit send to the client. Mm-hmm. They can toggle approved on whatever ones they want. Mm-hmm. They hit submit. You're automatic. By that point, normally I know that they've approved everything verbally. So it's just like approved. Yeah. From there. So let's say the client, I have proposed $50,000 worth of products to the client. I now roll in a receiver fee into that. Mm -hmm. So that's included. But I've told them that at the consultation, they've already bought into that. But I collect a check for Mm $50,000, which is mind boggling to me. I, my brain was very resistant to that. Nobody's getting, who has $50,000 in a check to give me? Mm -hmm. Like in my mind, I'm like, they're going to want to pay a credit card, whatever. Right. But, but they do. And yeah. like you're you're telling this early on, so they're only signing on if they can. And if you want to pay credit card, you're going to pay three percent on that. But you're collecting fifty thousand dollars in a check. I collect it as a retainer, which Ivy, the program I use, allows me to create a retainer invoice, which is not a real invoice. It's just like me saying, like, this is the funds I have that I can then apply to my invoices. Okay. This sounds more elaborate than it is. I'm, I'm trying to simplify it, but. 
Once the client approves the proposal, all I have to do is click a button that says create purchase orders. Mm -hmm. Automatically, the system spits out all of those products separated by vendor. Mm -hmm. And all I have to do, because the system has the vendor information in it, is hit send to the vendor. And then wait for them to send me an, like a uh, like a confirmation of re- like receipt of confirmation, which is confirming that you're going to double check that in fact it is the right products that they put on it, that it's right. the right fabric, that the price is what you expected, and if it wasn't, then you might want to go back to the client and say, you know what, there was a mistake. Like, do you still want this? You don't want to eat the cost of that, and then you pay for it. When you're like the money, they've given you the money, you're housing it. Like, and I just put that money on my credit card every time I'm paying for something. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's, that's kind of the flow of managing it. And okay. I think that it's worthwhile to get software to do that because. Mm-hmm. So that's, headache. yeah. One of my, would Ivy, like, I know you use Dubsado and Ivy, um, and maybe others too. Like, would Ivy be the, if you had to pick one, would you say Ivy? Yeah. hundred awesome. percent. So if I had to pick one, it would be 100% Ivy because I could figure out ways to do like, well, they would still be tools. Like, but yes, if I had to pick one thing, it would be Ivy for sure. But I think it's important like that, you know, like I think it makes sense. I think Ivy is a great tool if you're doing trade only. Okay. If you're, if you're doing all retail all the time, like probably my Doma and I'm ignorant a little bit on my Doma now. I think it's important to do your own research too. Like I tested every single product. Mm-hmm. So I paid, I didn't care. I was like, I'm going to pay monthly for each of these products because I want to figure out what works best for me. So I tried my Doma, but I also tried my Doma in its very early stages. Mm-hmm. And at that time, it was a very uh, good product for, for e-design. Mm-hmm. I think they've evolved because they've had to over time, but... Is there a way to do trade only for e-design? I'm going to say yes. I think Veronica Solomon does that um, because at the end of the day, you're going to have to order that product for them. Right. So you're going to want to roll in. You're either going to have to decide like part of the profit I'm making on the product is going to cover for my e-design because the point of e-design normally is like... um, I'm creating a solution for you to purchase and take care of on your own. But the amount of profit that you would make on trade only, which, which might be something you just have to identify based on client budgets, you need to have budgets that are healthy enough to warrant ordering uh, trade only. So you kind of have to get the client's buy-in. Like, here's what's great. I'm going to be able to get you products that you can't just get anywhere, mm-hmm. um, but I'm going to have to order it for you in order to do that. Like, are you on board with that? And, you know, figure out how you want to do that pricing. I don't do e design anymore. Um, so I don't know because I never, I didn't source trade at that time, but I'm pretty sure Veronica does it because I think we all know Veronica's like all about that, that cash money. So she mm-hmm. knows like, I'm going to make a lot of money off of this. So she makes it work. Totally. totally. Yeah. Yeah. And then would you just, um, because I feel like I'm just getting a lot of clients that are all over the country, which is really great. But then it's like, Oh, if I want to make a profit with trade only, I mean, if you did do that with those e-design clients that are higher and, um, would you just send it to a receiver again and then have them? Okay. Yeah. You just kind of pointed out a bit of a, uh, it's tough. You're right. Yes. Everything would have to go to a receiver and then be shipped all at once to the client. 
Mm-hmm. You know, Veronica Solomon, that might be a good question to put in her group because I think she has done this. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. I think you have to weigh out the complexity of that and versus like, you know, is the profit... Because again, like the whole premise of e-design is cheap and cheerful, right? Mm -hmm. Easy breezy, client does it on their own. So it's hard to say like, well, now I'm going to do trade only stuff, but now you have to pay for me to order it for you. Like clients are going to be resistant to that. Mm -hmm. But if you can figure out like it's it's, it's super profitable for me to just roll in, you know, if roll in the cost of me ordering into your product pricing and it just it gets kind of lumped into the profits. Mm -hmm. So you're like, I'm ordering, but don't worry. Like there's no additional cost to you. But then you have to make sure that they know that they're going to have to pay a receiver fee, you know? So it might not end up like, I don't don't know. I feel like it ends up like the nature of e-design is cheap and cheerful. And I feel like it ends up being like the the nuances of of trade only are a bit more elaborate. And there's additional like luxury costs that are involved. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, you kind of mentioned this before, like starting with a contract, like, like what would be a good template? Like you just found yours using a template from one of the groups. hundred percent. Yeah. So I feel like it'd be irresponsible for me to set, not say like, you should talk to a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. And any of the contracts you do get online, I think they will like, you do it at your own risk. Mm -hmm. But I think, from, are you doing renovation stuff or are you doing mostly furnishing and accessorizing type stuff? Yeah, mostly styling stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so at least our liability is a little lower. Like, our liability is more on the like, I sourced a piece of furniture that was too big and it didn't go in the door and I didn't do that. But for e design, like, a lot of that's going to be on the client anyway. Mm-hmm. But um, I would just, the best place to start where I started was, well, first of all, I just made like, I did, I Googled, I probably Googled like interior design contract. Yeah. And my first contract is like embarrassingly terrible. Uh, And then when I finally got into a group, especially design ER therapy, because that was when people were just throwing like a lot of information into the notes section. If you go to the notes section, it is just full of valuable stuff, like consultation checklists, um, lots of contracts, like vendor lists. Uh, like unless people have gone in and cleaned them out because like, they're like, Oh, I don't want this to be here anymore. But yeah, you're going to find so many contracts and you can just go through them and try to tweak it to be, to make it sense for you. But you're going to keep evolving it as you realize where you need to cover your butt. Right. Right. And that's design ER therapy. You said? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, okay. Michelle, what are your, top, <laughs> what are your top three favorite places in the world? Oh my God, this is where we start to realize I'm like not very well traveled. Okay, I freaking will. I saw a picture of you in Paris. Mm. I know. So, so I don't know about Paris. I, okay, of the places I've been, obviously, (laughs) I freaking loved Portland, Oregon. Have you been to Portland, Oregon? Like 10 years ago, and it was wonderful. Oh my God. I loved it very much there. Great. Not to mention like everybody is extremely fit and attractive, which is not great. And everybody owns a dog, but Mm -hmm. I loved Portland, Oregon Mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Paris was obviously like a dream. Like I'd always wanted to go there. So that was definitely amazing. Um, Even just like architecturally speaking, like walking 
and finding beauty in like the like in not the obvious places was really cool. Like right. you know, just capturing like little moments that were like most people would be like, oh whatever, but just these like little random places that were just like sheer right. beauty. And, oh, and you said so you said three. Three. Um the places that's so hard. I, I don't feel like I've traveled very much. Um I did like Jamaica. All I right. went to Jamaica and it was fun. Yaman. Yeah, Yaman. Yeah, we smoked a little weed. I'm not gonna lie. It was like super breezy. Like it was great. I love I mean you have I to say that anyway. because maybe right. my parents no, my parents are never gonna listen to this. I mean, it's legal here, so who cares? Oh, come on. Yeah. It's, it's definitely legal in Jamaica, so. Definitely. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, well, I'm not the most, like, I, I will say, like, I don't go, I, it's weird. Like, I'm not, like, I'm not super obsessed with traveling, so that's yet another tough question for me, but, um, like, I'm a homebody. I'm, I'm very much a homebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I've become a homebody. I used to travel yeah. a lot, but. Did you? Where's your favorite three places? Oh God. Um, you, you know, what was one of the most surprisingly wonderful places is Portugal. Like really? the tip of Portugal. I studied abroad in Spain in Granada and we road trip like these five wild girls. We road trip to Portugal and it was insane. There's like these caves you can swim through oh and my God. beautiful sand. Um, at, but Italy is probably like the top of my list because of the food. Cause I love food so much. Oh, and Italian food. Like, let's be real. If I could be, I, I think it would be terrible for my waistline, but if I could be eating like fresh pasta, that's a dream. Oh, the quality of it is so good though. I just, you know, it was so funny. Like when we went, I'm like, I think I built this up too much. It did not let me down. It was so good. That's so um, I, can I tell you the weirdest thing about Paris was that the best ramen we've ever had. I mean, we've uh, never been to Japan, but the best ramen we've ever had in our lives was uh-huh. in Paris. And we went to the same place three times in the two weeks we were there. We had ramen four times while we were in Paris and three, we went back to the same place because this place was like so amazing. Good. It was oh so gosh. good. Oh, so weird. But yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Traveling's the best. Well, the, that's like pretty much the end of my questions. And I feel just filled with knowledge, Michelle. I'm so glad. I freaking love this so much. I love this so much. That was Real Talk Takeaway. No, Real Talk Takeover. See, I'm really good at like screwing up the names of things. And I just did that. I, what was I doing? I was listening to your, um, your interview with Crispin this morning and I was laughing in my car because I don't, what happened? You were like, you called it design homies again. <laughs> and you're like, I don't even know what's going on. I know. And she did it's, the same thing. She was like, Oh crap. What's the name of the thing? And it's like, it's, Oh my it's, God. I know. It's like, we should know the names of our, our stuff, but oh, no. thank you so much. Okay. First of all, guys, like this was a hundred percent her idea, like everything the cute, like the questions amongst everything. I loved it so much. And I like, you got me so excited to do this. Like you did so much work and like you actually prepped and like put so much effort in. And I so appreciate it. Michelle, you're killing it. You're killing it. And you're just like such a good inspiration for so many people in my position. And I think people in other positions too, probably, but it's just like, you know, you were talking about like what inspires you of all those people that are like putting themselves out there and doing it. Like that's you to me and to others because it's like, damn, I can do this. I can do this. You know, like I can. And like, 
I, I mean, I'm right now, I've, it's, I feel like I'm having those moments of feeling like a fraud. Like it's really vulnerable right now for me to be saying like, guys, it's slow over here. Like, yeah. it's like hard to admit that when you're like, you know what I mean? So, but yeah. I'm like, I, I, I committed to being like honest about the process and I'm not here to like pretend it's, it's what it is. The ironic thing though is like those things that are like so real and uncomfortable and vulnerable are always what the, th- the things that end up being like the biggest impact, the highest value. You know what yeah. I mean for other people because it's like, oh, I'm not alone. You know, yes. like, oh my God. Do you, do you even know like, Veronica Solomon, she's going to do my podcast again. And I told her that I wanted to talk about, you know, the times, because I know she had struggles early on, like she's been open about that. But I was like, I would really like it if we could talk about, you know, what did you do to get through that? And like, just making it so clear that there's light at the end of the tunnel. And that I wanted to be like an episode about hope. And for me, I want to hear there's nothing worse than like talking to somebody that's like in a position of like, you know, either like they've been successful at like getting fit or successful at this. And you're like, you know what, you know, I'm not there. Has yet. it been a struggle? And they're like, no, like I, I follow it perfectly. Or, you know what? No, I, I just been really lucky. It's been really easy the whole time. And it's just like, oh. <laughs> well, and the thing is, is like, I mean, Veronica, I mean, I discovered her through your podcast. And that's why I would reach out to her is because of the struggle she's been through. You know what I mean? Like I've talked to other designers where it's like they got their design gr- degree, they worked in like, you know, a formal setting. That's yeah. it. and that's so great, but like their suggestions maybe aren't helping me because they haven't been where I'm at. You know what I yeah. mean? So 100%. It's like, yeah, it's totally. great. Um, I freaking love Veronica. Um I met her at High Point and cuz like she's been a, a huge she is the reason like I she, she taught me because we did talk on the phone like both, uh-huh. like early like a couple years ago and she was like this is how much money I made this month and it opened my brain see I love it when people are transparent like that like no, I'm about it yeah I'm I'm about it too that's- because I want like I'm like that's what Veronica did for me mm-hmm. and I I'm like I want to do that for people too like right. I want people to know that what? It's what are good. your, um, like, I listened to the episode where you talked about like your goals from 2018. Do you mind sharing what your goals are for 2019 for money? Yeah, totally. Um, it's like, I mean, that, that is uh, looking bleak right now. Yeah, there's a lot <laughs> so, of year left. But That's you know what? Point. Like, so last year I did a good, better, best goal. This year I just had one goal. Mm-hmm. I think it was 400,000. Yes, girl. I love it. Um, I had three, like I had 350 as my goal, mm-hmm. um, which to which Dave, like, or so I talked to somebody who was like, no, you need to up that. So I did like right now that's feeling like a pipe dream. I want to work less and make more money and be there for like my daughter and just have more time with her. And so I don't ever want to be counterproductive of like, I'm like chasing after this dream to enjoy life more, but like I'm, you know, I'm going to hustle so hard right now that I'm not enjoying life right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so yeah, I don't know. It's cool. I I also like, I'm like looking at your Instagram. I feel like you have like an awesome personality with like your, your captions are funny and witty and people are going to dig that. 
Thanks, Michelle. So you should definitely put a lot of that out there because okay. I feel like people are so drawn to that. Okay. And then in addition, like being talented is helpful, but a lot of the times being talented isn't even, doesn't even matter. Right. You it's see, just, like, I don't know, you watch some of the people, you're like, I don't even really think your work's that good, but it's like, it's confidence. It's so like true. being smart in business and it's putting yourself out there and tell everybody where they can find you because you're a freaking rock star. Thank you, Michelle. So you can find me on Instagram at, at Co, which is E-T-T-I-E and co. And then my website is etienco.com. Make sure to sign up for my newsletter because if I say so myself, I think it's really funny and design informative. <laughs> so I fully realize that this podcast is long enough without me adding an outro, but I'm adding one anyway. Number one, how awesome is she? I think she is definitely going places. Number two, I wanted to add a couple of things. Um, number one, I think when we talked about the contract, I did say that it would be highly recommended to get a lawyer. So please know that that's my first and foremost advice, get a lawyer. Um, number two, I wanted to also add a little bit of a caveat to joining all these Facebook groups. And it's that join the Facebook groups, ask for the advice, but also keep that advice take that advice with a grain of salt. One thing I notice is, first of all, like sometimes people don't know enough about your question, your business, what your goals are to give advice that makes sense. So read through the advice, you know, take it in, but make sure that you think about like, you know, just think it through. Um, make sure that you're not kind of jumping to conclusions based on one person's idea Sometimes you got to go with your gut and your gut is the right thing and you got to make the mistakes yourself. But um, the other thing I will say is there's different ways to run businesses. There is not a one size fits all. And just sometimes I find that people come at people a little bit aggressively in the groups and make people feel a little bit less than if they do something a little bit different. And I think the big thing with starting your own business and especially people who are self-taught and haven't worked in a firm Sometimes being naive to processes can be a really good thing because you think about doing something a way that nobody else has thought of. The last thing I'm going to say is I feel like I talked so damn much there. And Etty, I want to apologize to you. I will say sometimes it's really hard to hear when somebody's interjecting. Um, and I listened back and it was a bit cringy for me because um, I might have, like, after hearing it back, heard her maybe trying to say something and I just feel like I monopolized it all. So I apologize for that. And I'm going to try every time I edit these podcasts, I do take notes of things I can do better. I am not a professional. I'm learning as I go and I just need to work on that. (laughs) So anyway, if you enjoyed this podcast episode, uh, please leave me a review guys. I'm going to keep asking for the review because those reviews are going to be what helps me be able to get those amazing uh, guests that I'm trying to get Studio McGee, Amber Interiors, Larkin Linen. I'm talking to you guys. Um, those those are going to help me because people are they're going to actually believe that people listen to this. Continue to share this. I you know what I'm going to challenge you to share this episode or any episode that you really like on your Instagram. Share it with one design friend that you know. Tag them. Whatever that looks like. I'm definitely reading. I'm watching, and I'm like my heart is full. So I'm going to challenge you to keep doing that. Um, tag me, tag people, you know, let's spread the word. Now, now that I'm seeing the momentum building on this podcast, I'm kind of like, 
addicted and I wanted to keep growing at a rapid rate. And um, if you want to follow along more of the behind the scenes stuff, as far as the business is concerned, you can go to Real Talk Design on Facebook, uh, request to join. If you do so, please, please, please don't just say you're a designer. I want to know. Um, I can't remember my questions, but one of them is to share a link to your interior design website or even a Facebook group or Facebook page or anything. But I really am not accepting somebody unless it's very obvious that you're a designer. Um, yeah, that's all I got. I will talk to you guys next week. Time to shut her down. Bye guys. <laughs>